All right, welcome back to the Instead Podcast. This is your EMED coach, Dr. Scott Weeders, coming to you with another great episode here. I've got a, I've got kind of a rock star here in our local medical school here. Every time I walk by this guy's office, I'm serious. There's like a line of seven or eight medical students waiting for autographs or posters or swag. Or candy, a lot of times. Candy, maybe. Okay, yeah. 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 But one of the MVPs at our campus is is Chris Deem. So I, I brought Chris in today. Uh, Chris, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Give us a little background on, on where you came from and what you do. Yeah, so I uh, I've been here a little over four years now at the College of Medicine. I was I was a K-12 guy before this, so I was a, a history teacher, actually, political science undergrad history teacher, and ended up in a medical school, so you just never know sometimes. <laughs> um, so I, I taught for four years, uh, was a high school assistant principal for three years, uh, was a middle you school. You were a principal, I, I was bet. A, I was a principal. I had candy in my office there, too. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Although in some of those cases, it was, hey, you're going to you know ISS for three days. There's a piece <laughs> of candy to, to send you away with. Um, I was a, a middle school principal for two and a half years. Um, did some central office stuff with uh, while I was down in Salado, and uh, and then came here January 2015. So, good life. And that's awesome. So, Chris, tell us what you do on a daily basis and kind of why I brought you on. Give us some background about your job here and, and how you help our students. So, the when, when somebody asks me that question who has who has no clue what this actually looks like, I tell them my goal is to get our students in the door and out the door in four years. And whatever that looks like, we do it. And so, for a second-year medical student right now, they know that step is around the corner, and so we do a lot of planning for that. Uh, for our third year, it's a lot of life advice. For fourth years, it's it's navigating um, uh, the the match process, and, and in all of that is a whole lot of hey, I'm kind of struggling here. What can I do a little bit differently? So it's it's learning skills, it's time management, it's study prep, it's it's how they attack the work to ultimately get them to where they are successful on step, figuring out what they want to do with their lives, get that right program. Uh, and then go create great Aggie docs and send them out to go do good things. So. Cool. And one of one of Chris's strengths that I think we're going to talk about today is is really helping make things stick. So when you're learning, there are efficient and inefficient ways of learning. There are high yield ways to retain information, and then low yield ways to retain information. There's a lot of work that's been done. The book that really framed me is I think Brown's book, Make It Stick, which I can see in my my uh, yep. my office here, right? I've got a copy of that. But man, it really told me that I was learning completely the wrong way. And maybe that's an excuse. Maybe it's some help. <laughs> it's uh, it's funny when I when I first took this job, I realized that there was a lot of things that were the same from K twelve education to to higher education. I remember the conversation I had with my boss about three weeks in when she pulled out "Make It Stick" and I had given it to my teachers in Salado and in, and in College Station before that. So hold on a second. We're talking about the same thing with different terms here. And there, there's always this mentality of if I study more, if I study more, and it's a time thing, it's a time thing, when really it's an efficiency thing. How are you using your time? Um, the biggest way that students learn here, and we, and we see it, they're out there with patients. They, they see that disease. They see that management style, and, and, and they get a, active learning. Active right? learning. You yeah. know, and we replicate that as much as we can by using questions during the block. We, uh, we're fortunate to have some resources here that give students access to question banks early on. And, and one of the things I pound into them is you may think you know something, but until you actually test yourself, you don't know. And so questions, even in my time here, I, w- I would use questions initially as just a pure assessment. It's a learning tool. It is, a, as you're reviewing the questions and missing questions, you can learn a lot from that. There's that emotional reaction to missing something going, well, shoot, why did I miss mm. it? And then you, you build in that time to go and review through the primary resources, let the questions guide where your deficiencies are. So you've spent time with it. You have that active learning component there. It's going to be there when you need it 
for that formative assessment. So a lot of that, uh, or for that summative assessment. So as you're formatively going through these things, um, making it active with patience, ideally, with questions, writing your notes, whiteboarding it, getting chalk, doing something with it as opposed to just turning the pages, reading the pages, it, it's not going to work. Okay. Let's, let's jump into some of the nuance. That's a good introduction here. So let's talk about this, this four-letter word, step. Yeah, step yeah, one. Yeah. Dirty step, term, dirty, dirty term. Dirty term. Don't like to hear that, but it's, it's, it's here whether you love or, or hate step one. Um, how much time does someone typically need? Let's say Captain Average, like me, I'm, I'm totally average guy. How much time do we need to study for step one? What recommendation do you have for students? So we have found that, that typically six to seven weeks is, is going to be a good chunk of time for them. Uh, we, we looked at some of our student results last year, and we really found that, that coming into week seven, we would see some pretty steady growth. And then after that, you, you started having some non-academic factors kick in, like fatigue, for example. When, when we're building schedules for our students here, it's 10 and a half hour days, six days a week over six to seven weeks. You start putting that together, that's well over 360 hours worth of work that you're doing. And at that point, you have some of these non-academic factors, fatigue, post-peak, start kicking in. And so when we're doing our schedules, it's six to seven weeks for, for most folks. Um, we kind of bob in and out of a disciplines base with systems wound in. We go back to systems with disciplines wound in. And then kind of just a straight old school undergrad cram session right there at the end where we are rote memorizing the heck out of some high yield things and trying to get this those last couple of points before you go in and, and take the test. Gotcha. So I'm here in six to seven weeks, but not quite the regular 40-hour work week. We're talking probably 60 hours, yeah. putting in some pretty yeah. intense yeah. time, and then being aware of fatigue. Um, what about step two? Any differences there? There is. So the great thing about step two is that the shelf exams are many versions of step two. And so every time you take a shelf, and, and there are shelf exams on campus today, so we've seen them all coming out of the rooms, um, you are taking a portion of, of CK. And by the time that is done, and, and you've gone through your clerkships, and you've got your dedicated study time, um, we talk about three to four weeks for step two CK. It's a second pass through UWorld. It's a second pass through step up to medicine. It's a second pass of, um, of all the information that you've already seen. And, and we've really, and this, this has changed too, some things that I've learned on the job. I used to make that step schedule look a lot like step one. We went through systems. Now it's, let's pick three or four things that you're weak on and go annihilate questions, 160 questions a day. Pound it, pound it, pound it, pound it. Um, because it's a pure second pass. Um, the, the shelf exams, again, every time you take a shelf exam, it's a mini portion of CK. And so then at the end, it's much less painful. We can squeeze it in three to four weeks. And uh, the results we've had the last couple of years have, have been great. Our average looks really nice. Awesome. So we're talking about some good time frames, talking about some good strategies. Now, um, what are some of the, the top resources you recommend? There's a thousand things out there. I used first aid back yeah. in the day when it was, you know, probably a pamphlet size of a book. Now it's, now it's like a Merriam-Webster dictionary <laughs> full of knowledge. Um, it, it's still there, but it has, um, step one has become much more supplement or, a, a first aid has become much more supplemental in, in, in the way that it, um, is used. We use it to back up questions, um, Pathoma has become, for step one, just the, the, the golden uh, resource. Boards and Beyond is really emerging as a great resource for biochem and for phys. And so especially as step one has become more clinical in nature and you're seeing much more emphasis on the diagnosis and management than just the basic sciences, first aid has, has really gone to where we're advising students to use it to back up questions. So the, the first three hours of a day for, for most of our students, they're doing 20 targeted questions in, let's say, cardiovascular and they use step one or use first aid to kind of give more meat to what the um, 
what the U-world explanations are doing. And then from there they look and they say, geez, pathology really beat me up. And so now they're going into pathoma to, to look at a little more depth for cardio, repeat that a couple of times, um, mix questions at the end of the day, always mix questions all the time. No matter how bad your percentages are, we want you to see that, because how are you ultimately gonna know if you know cardio? When it's buried between a renal and a respiratory question, not when you just know it's coming. And so it's that whole interleaving concept of you see something, you come back to it, you really, you're not just training your brain to expect it to be there. Um, it, it really filters out if you know it or if you don't know it. So between pathoma boards and beyond, sketchy medical is big for mm, micro and farm. I think especially for micro farm, the videos are still kind of long, and so you kind of have to put some work in before dedicated time to do it. Um, first aid is there. There's a new 2019 version that's has a few updates in there. So you know, med students, if you have a 2017 version, retire it, <laughs> go buy 2019. That's so 2017. I know, so 2017. Got to get that thing out of there. Um, so. Wow, and, and Chris, you get a lot of money from each of these book companies, do. don't you? Yeah, tell us about your contracts and your flights they send you on across the world. So, I, I mean, I just signed a new contract with Pathoma. I'm very excited about it now. If that was the case, I gave a presentation last year at a SGA in Jackson, and I, and I let off because they always make sure that we give the whole, uh, we have no affiliations or no contractual obligations. And I said, I wish I did. Yeah, uh, that yeah. would be great. <laughs> so no conflicts of interest here. None but at all. Just from a guy who's done this a long time and seen hundreds yeah. of students go through and, and do well. That's, uh, that's the advice. So you kind of describe what a typical study day looks like. Mm -hmm. let's, let's break down into maybe the role of questions versus maybe content that you need to read. How do, you, how do you feel like students could best use questions and then reading in that balance? Talk to us through that. So when we, when we actually step back and look at what that 10-hour that day looks like, it's about four hours of input time um, through, through reading or watching videos, about four hours of doing questions, and then uh, about an hour and a half worth of memory work, which for us, most, for most of our students, it's, it's micro and, and farm some capacity. Um, but I really think that it's, it's the questions driving what you are reading or watching that's important. If you think about you have seven weeks, let's say, to study for step one, and it covers material that you've had for probably about two years before that. So you've taken an entire curriculum down to seven weeks. And you have, which, which is scary. We get students that come in all the time and go, oh, that's horrifying. Cardio in three days. What do, you know, how do I do? I, I keep beating up on cardio. I think I'm getting tachycardic yeah, right yeah, now I'm just a, hearing you talk about this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pull respiratory out now. <laughs> uh, no, it's, um, you know, so you, you have to know, even if you have an illusion of, or, or, or some sort of, I think I'm weak in this area, the questions are the ultimate filter. So if you, so if you start off with the questions, 8 a.m. in the morning, you do a targeted set of, of respiratory questions, get your brain jogging first and foremost. Um, and then it, again, it's gonna reveal what area specifically you need to go and review. Uh, it used to be when we were doing this, it was more of a basic sciences exam, we would do four hours of reading in the morning, four hours of questions in the afternoon, um, which really could set you up to for failure. If, mm. if you're doing questions six or seven hours into your day and you realize for the first time that day, oh man, I wasn't reading the right thing. Well, now you jump off with questions by 8.30 in the morning, you have some guidance on what you need to read, what you need to watch. Um, so again, the question almost as a, as a formative tool at that point. And then the mixed questions at the end of the day, very summative all the time. And there's two reasons we do them. One is we want you to see all the content for the entirety of your study. If, if we designate HEMOC for week six, I don't want you to see HEMOC for the first time in week six. We need to see it at the beginning. And then second, step one, seven blocks, 40 questions. Do a mixed set of 40 questions. Practice how you're going to perform. And I use that term mm -hmm. all the time with students. Practice how you're going to perform. Time yeah. test mode. You don't want step one to surprise you. If you have timing issues, you don't want that to be the hindrance for you getting out the content. 
And so the practice how you're performing is, is a big piece yeah. every single day. For a lot of students. wisdom in that statement throughout life. Practice the way you play. Yeah. Um, what are some common errors students make? I mean, what do you see people doing? You say, oh, man, I wish I could have got to you a few weeks ago. We could have fixed this. What are the pitfalls that are just commonly people fall into? I think th- I think there's two. Um, one is, like you said a couple minutes ago, there are a thousand resources out there. And there's this um, there's this falsehood that I need to go read all of them. Or I need to read 10 or 12 or 14 and know all of them, every piece of it. And reality is if you were to have 14 books stacked in front of you, you might know a chapter of this or a chapter of that. I would much rather you be an expert, if you will, on three or four of those resources um, and, and really dig in on those. So, so sometimes, and it's getting better, but um, sometimes you see the student with, I, I want all of these resources. I don't have time. What do I do? So we have to back them off of that mentality. The, the second is a fear of the mixed questions. And, and one of the things that I make sure to tell our students early on is that that first set of mixed questions you do day one of study, you're probably going to get 35 on it, a 40, 45. If you're lucky, a 50. Reminds me of my very first chemistry score as a freshman, 36. Uh, tw- 24. <laughs> oh! 24. I had, the teacher looked at me and said, you actually missed every question. You got 24 <laughs> points of partial credit. I went, oh, my gosh. That was horrifying. 10th grade, Colleen High School. Scared me. Um, it's... Um, but there's this fear there. And so one of the things I emphasize to him is we know that. We know that. We know that. We know that. Um, but you're learning. Again, that emotional response to missing questions. Um, and those percentages get better. Mm-hmm. The, the second piece that I remind them for those mixed questions is you don't have to get 100 on step one to be successful. Or even a 90 if you look at the raw percentage. And we've all been trained. If any competitive student, I've got to get 100 or a 99 or a 98. Yeah. You look at what a good step one score is, it's about an 85, 86, 87. And you're getting your... 245 you're 250 and so it's um it's it's a mentality adjustment there to not be afraid of the questions you're learning from Mm -hmm. the questions it's not just an assessment so framing them in that way is is important yeah man fear can be such a powerful enemy Mm -hmm. so overcoming that having a a good mindset understanding the data can oftentimes empower us to to overcome that Let's switch gears and talk about just learning in general. I mean, we've talked about step one, but how would you encourage, let's say there's maybe an M1 or, gosh, even mm-hmm. an M4, a guy like me, I'm, I'm still trying to learn. Yeah. I mean, I'm a student my whole life. So um, how do we improve learning? How do we make it stick? What are some keys you have there? Walk through that with us. Sure. So one of the things that we do with the with the M1s, and, and we do this in every three or four weeks, is we'll look at different elements of of common errors or, or issues that we've seen hinder students in the past. So if it's time management, if it's um, ability to answer a, a multiple choice test, sometimes people can, can verbalize what they know, but when you see it in a multiple choice format, it's more of a procedural thing. It's that you, you again, if you can't manage time, you can't manage anything else. And so the first presentation we do is let's look at your calendar and figure out how we can make this work. M1s everywhere know the amount of required classes that you have, or if, if you've got an anatomy lab, you've got a histology lab, you've got mandatory practice of medicine, whatever it is, you look at your calendar, it can be very intimidating. So one of the things we initially talk about is managing your time. The, the second piece, and it's kind of similar to what we do with the, with the folks in step one, is not to be afraid to do the questions. They don't think they have time to do questions, and that's a, that's a very common thing that we get is, I don't have time to do this because I have to read. Um, I have to watch that lecture a second time through. Um, a third thing is just to know how you learn. Um, we have the ability here at A&M that we record the lectures, and so we have a lot of stream teamers that we call them who, who only go to class for mandatories, but they know their learning style is best to be um, watching those videos. They can pause and, and kind of interact that way. We have some that absolutely have to be in class. I was always that guy. I, I had to be in class. I had to be learning it, and I could supplement 
with with uh, recordings afterwards, but I know I need to be in there. And if you are having timing issues, one of the things we talk about is going to class instead of being on the stream team because then you always have that accountability of mm-hmm. 8 to 12, these lectures are here, I've got a first pass on it, and now I'm going home and doing the questions. Accountability is so key. It yeah. is. And, and we encourage them to experiment. If they don't know, experiment. Um, but certainly not to blow up the ship. If it worked for you in undergrad, let's give it a shot um, to see how it's going to work here. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the the I think I've said questions probably four hundred times already. But it's just so important. Other ways to do that, and as a, as a teacher, one of the ways I would do this back in the classroom is whiteboarding it and, and getting up there and writing it down, seeing it. There's that there, again. There's that emotional response or that physical connection there mm-hmm. to writing it out and having your memory work being there. The bigger you write it. Um, my, my, my boss down in Bryan will always say, if you have kids, get sidewalk chalk and draw out the pathways and do all those. You have that visual that's on there. Um, you know, making it active early and not just saying, I have to read this. I don't have time to be active. It's actually the other way around. You don't have time mm-hmm. not to be active in your learning. Gotcha. A lot of times there's this, uh, there's some pride that sneaks into this. There's mm-hmm. an illusion of knowing. I think about one of the, the most favorite studies, the Dunning-Kruger effect, yep. you know, tell us about this illusion of knowing Dunning-Kruger, what's that? It, so it, it, it hits you both ways. You, you, you have the students who um, are at the, the top end of things that don't have confidence in themselves. They don't realize that, that they are, um, they have this mastery level. And then you have the folks on the, on the other side who um, they, they, they feel a little more confident than maybe they, they should. And in both cases, it can be dangerous. The, the worst case scenario is, you're in a clinical setting there and you think you know how to do this skill set and you don't and whoops. Um, or you have somebody who does it isn't confident enough to speak up when they see something that, that's wrong. One of the things that I try to do is um, is have very honest conversations with the students and I, and I have found that they appreciate that. I um, had somebody in my office recently who was thinking about going into a, um, a, a subspecialty that requires a pretty competitive score and we had a very honest conversation about maybe that isn't where you need to be. So you see it on that end. The end where I think I spend most of my time is um, with students who are telling me, you know, I'm going to be just fine on this test. I'm going to be mm. just fine on the test. And the percentages just aren't quite there. And so having to have a very honest conversation with them um, about that. Um, one of the, So you're, you're studying for step two and you've been doing practice questions and, you know, I'm going to go get a 250 on this thing, but you're at a 55% correct on your UWorld. Understanding there's some more work to be done there and being okay with that. That whole pride piece can, can really hit you at that yeah. point. Humility is so important here, it sounds like. It is. And then on the other side of it, and I'm proud of our, our school, I think that the Aggie Docs, one of the things that, that sticks out in my mind when I'm telling students about them is that they want others to be successful. Hmm. They want others to be successful, um, so they do what they can to help with that as opposed to tearing them down to make themselves look better. I'm, I'm incredibly proud that our students operate that way. Sometimes those really high ones doubt themselves, and they and they have these fears. And I will sit there and, and feed them a bunch of maroon Kool Aid while they're in there, and just say, "No, guys, listen. I'm glad you're humble. You need to be humble, but be confident in your ability to go out and apply for this field, to go out and and do that procedure, to go have that conversation with the attending, whatever it may be. Um, be humble, yes, but listen, you've worked your tail off. Go be confident. Imposter so, syndrome sets it in. It sets in a big sort of way. Wow. Yeah. Let's unpack some some terms. I've heard of these things, but I was wondering if you could kind of give us some examples maybe. What, what is spaced repetition? And give me an example of how we'd use that. So if you have, um, so the, the mixed questions come from that um, come from that mentality a little bit where you're able to, um, uh, I'll give you an example. So when you have um, our first years, they have histology and anatomy at the same time. 
um, the lectures are actually split up um, to the point where you could theoretically target one area and then go to the other one and just do that, um, you know, one week of this, one week of that. Um, we talk a lot about having, um, you know, you, you study your histology, then you study your anatomy, you study your histology, and you study your anatomy, and you, and you have it to the point where um, it's frequent enough that it's going to stick. We know that if you, if you over a 30-day period of time, if you review something in 24 hours, it's going to be there, 70% of it's going to be there 30 days later. 48 hours is 50%. Uh, 72 hours is 30 percent you kind of see it going down there and so we have to have them keep coming back to that material mm. um, and it's it's vital for their long-term non-binge and purge success everybody knows you can memorize something right before and have it have it there when you need it for the test the next day it's 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 how do you really make sure that it's there six months from now a year from now and so it's the not just getting it all up front it's not just doing it one day at the end. It's the coming back, coming back, coming back. Man, it took me maybe 10 different EKG classes to even figure out what in the heck to do about that. And now that's kind of a niche that I enjoy yeah. and something I feel like I understand pretty well. We, we have something we call the oh shoot list. And, and some people <laughs> sometimes refer to it as a little stronger terminology. Um, but when they're doing questions, uh, you write down one statement of what is it that would have helped you get that concept right the next oh. time. So, man, I missed that it was an elderly patient instead of a kid, or I missed that they had this pre-existing condition. And so they write it, they, they write it down, um, and then each day they come back to that list. They come back to and review that concept, and so they know they're going to see it every two or three days. Cool. All right, this other term I've heard about is called interleaving, mm -hmm. and that sounds like a bunch of meta-ed kind of yep. vocabulary nonsense to me, but what, what does that mean? So here's the best way I can describe that, and I'm going to kick into baseball mode right now because we're doing t-ball with my kid, and so I'm just – the, the, the time has arrived. He's got a pretty good arm on him too, by the way. Mm. We're thinking about third base, maybe. It's my favorite stage is t-ball. It's fun. Yeah, it's uh, it was cold out there last <laughs> night, but we still had fun. Um, so you've got a you got a player who goes into the batting cages and um, pitching coach throws twenty five straight fastballs at him. He's feeling really good about life. He goes out to the game and goes zero for four with three strikeouts, and he's like, "Wait, I felt really good about this." You got the guy in the batting cage right after him gets a couple of fastballs to warm up, then a changeup, then a slider then a curveball, then another fastball. So he's not enjoying practice because he's, he's, the changeup is his weakness. He doesn't see it out of the hand well. Gets a little bit better by the end of practice. He gets to that same game. He goes three for four with a double. Hmm. The guy who got 25 fastballs was overly confident, felt good about himself, but he saw one example. He saw something one way. And he wasn't prepared to see it in different ways. He wasn't prepared to see that fastball buried between the curveball and the slider. The guy who had the multiple pitches thrown at him didn't come in with the mentality of the game that all I'm going to see is fastballs. I'm going to see all these other things. And so it goes back to the mixed questions concept. Mm. I could have somebody do six days of cardio questions in a row and say, got it. Yeah. Except that test isn't just cardio. Mm. You could have somebody who's maybe doing some cardio reading and respiratory reading and renal reading, but they're just doing cardio questions. They're only doing exclusive blocks, and they're not ready for that mastery of knowledge when they see that cardio question, again, buried between the respiratory and the, and the renal. And so, so coming back and forth, again, the, the step schedule that we do is, is we do disciplines first and then come back and do a systems base. And so you see cardio day one, cardio day eight, cardio day 15, cardio day 19, and you, you see it just weaving in and out of, um, of your study schedule to the point where 
by the end of it, it's not fun at the beginning. And they've done surveys. These that, that baseball example was a real one. They did mm-hmm. a survey, and they asked the the even after they went through a month worth of the practices and the guys who got the different pitches are being more successful. They asked all the players, which one would you rather be in practice? Like, I want the fastball. <laughs> so they still didn't believe that it was working for them. Uh, uh, trust the science here. Trust right? the science here, and it's the same way with those. That's one of the reasons why we give the hey, listen, these mix sets are going to be terrible at first, and you're going to want to stay on cardio for five or six days. Trust the system. You're coming back to it two weeks later. You're coming back to it in those mixed questions. You got your O shoot list at the end of the day. And a term I use is give yourself permission to move on from this Mm. because it's going to come back and you're going to know it seven weeks from now when you really need to know it. Gotcha. Now, there's a lot of types of active learning. Why don't you give us a few examples of those? And I, I just don't quite know that everybody understands what active learning means. And so talk to us about that. So so I think reflection is a, is a great one to talk about. So um, it, it seems like you're not studying when you're sitting back and just reviewing at the end of the day. Um, it, but really, it's a great way to sit back and say, okay, I've had... Um, I've had this anatomy lab today, and, and I went in there and did these dissections, and we did the quiz afterwards. What did I really take from it? Um, one of the ways that I have students do that reflection is um, that you've got your class calendar, and you've got your lectures that are on there. I tell them, hey, you know, end of the week, go back and look at that lecture you had on Monday. Write five things about it. If you can't write five things about it, write three things about it. If you can't do three, write one thing about it. And that's a great way for you to figure out the original depth of knowledge that you had. If a week later you're able to write five things about that lecture, you probably learned it pretty well. You can write one thing about it or didn't remember that you had that lecture on Monday. Well, now we have filtered out what you need to focus on this weekend while you're reviewing or what you need to do before that cumulative exam comes up. Um, and so that's a, um, that's a way they do it. That gives them a tangible. They can write it down while they're doing it. It gives them some focus on that. Um, and so that's so that's with with uh, reflection with re, with retrieval. Um, it, it's where you store it, and there are some fun memory tricks to, to do this. There's a guy who who did a video um, from England, and he he walks around town, and he's got all these things that he's familiar with. So mm. Big Ben and and the Eye and all these things, and he it made very random um, assertions. So he would go around and say. Big Ben is the ace of spades, and the and so, but he he had something that was very familiar. They didn't have to learn was something he didn't know, so he had a place to go in the brain. I travel a lot, and for a long period of time, I'd get rental cars, um, and so I would say the guy at the counter's name was Luke, and I didn't want to, I knew I was going to be coming in here frequently, I didn't want to just say, hey, guy, and so I'd go, okay, Luke, I am your father, and stare at him and go, okay, got a Star Wars reference, here we go, and so I went to a common place, and it's, yeah. and it can be applied here to where you know, the, the, the content that our students are learning in medical school is not new. Yeah. To get here, you had, in A&M's case, 47 hours of prerequisites that gave you the foundation for this. So what is it you already knew about the anatomy of the heart or the anatomy of the lungs? And so you can build off of that. Mm. When you already have that, okay, so I do know something about this. And now you're building on top of it. It's much easier to go get that information later than if you think of this as a broad scope. You're just trying to learn it in a box. Don't refer back to any of the classes you've had before. You're building on something that's familiar it again all the goal is for it to be there and you need it to be there yeah that retrieval is interesting i listened to a a really interesting podcast Uh, i forget which one it was on but it was a guy that had the world record for the quickest person in the world to memorize a deck of cards and it took this guy like less than a minute it's incredible and he was using association like ace of spades would be like james bond or something yeah and he used the same thing so for clotting cascades for memorization stuff that's not making sense that's a great tool. It is. And if you look at the the whole premise of, of Picmonics and Sketchy is exactly that. You, yeah, you, you, yeah. You've got this this 
crazy scene over here. Right. Um, you know, I remember the one from, I still remember this, from, from Picmonix, penicillin was pencil villain, and it had the little pencil <laughs> with the little guy on there. So you could see on the card, and you go, okay, we're, we're, we're managing with penicillin over here. It clearly yeah. worked. Good job, Picmonix. It clearly worked. <laughs> Good deal. Now, I use a couple of things. Mm-hmm. I've got some highlighters on my desk. Mm-hmm. Should I throw them away? No. No. At, no. You get to keep the highlighters. Okay. And so it's, um, again, any little thing that, that makes something active. So, you know, first aid, um, now I'm clearly not getting my paycheck from them, but first aid is not a page turner of a book. You don't <laughs> sit there and you're just captivated by what's going on with the metabolism. Breaks your for insomnia. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, and so I have seen, you go by some of the study carols and, and people are just asleep and they've got first aid out yeah. or they've got any book out. Highlight, just something as little as highlighting, underlining, um, coloring. I mean, anything to keep something active is, is important. Now, it's also important not to overly do it. And so one of the things we tell the first years is, one, you have to learn this material before you can start thinking about step. There are some that will start incorporating um, first aid and, and pathoma. It's not to over-highlight, not to over-underline. But when you really feel like you're to the stage where I can filter out this is high yield or low yield, or I should have already known this and I'm missing it, gotcha. Highlight draws your attention to it. Um, flashcards. Yeah, what about flashcards? I, I like flashcards. Flashcards are old school. Yeah. I love them. Okay. Because it, it a, like true cards or like true cards. Okay. Like not Anki decks, not <laughs> not you know something you're gonna go print out, but actual turn them over, flip them flashcards. The the one product that if I really could, if you're listening, get a paycheck for are Lang flashcards for farm, mm-hmm. Lippincott for micro. Yeah. You look at a step study schedule or what you're doing now. You're in front of a computer. You're doing questions in front of a computer. You're doing all this work with a screen on in front of you. That fatigues you. At the end of the day, you have a set of flashcards to go review your basic farm, your basic micro. It's a great way to A, get, in, get away from the computer. B, have it be active. You're flipping these cards over. And the way these cards are structured, you've got a, a clinical vignette on one side and then the basics of the disease or the basics of the management behind it. So you are focused in on the high-yield topic, presented in a way that it's going to be on the test, making your own flashcards. Same thing. It's time-consuming, and that's something that um, – no, that can be a form of summation or reflection, be. and then be. you make your own flashcards on your hard subjects. And, huh? and for the ones who have the time to do that, we, we tell them, if this works for you, prioritize it. We see some who, I think how you're constructing the flashcards is important. We have some people who are trying to basically rewrite the book yeah, on there, and yeah. you can't do that. In your own words, quick, yeah. you've got them, go through them, fire off. I've seen some apps that do flashcards, and there's decks. Yep. I mean, you got to be worried about the quality if you're using like some dude's deck from yeah. Ohio. I mean, right. It's like, how do you know that stuff is, is yeah. right? You have um, you have some that will will pick up on the questions that you're missing, um, and so it'll make sure to cycle back those back in in a more frequent manner. Um, there are the the various Anki decks that are out there that people have created that um, that are good, you know, formative summative ways, formative or summative ways. What I was trying to say there um, to study. I mean, the best is if you can make your own cards. That's one of those things where as you're going through your lectures, your second pass of information becomes the creation of the note cards. If you know that format is there, and then you've got a great way to summarize at the end. Old school pencil paper. Oh, by the way, pencil paper notes. There was a, there was a study that was done. A, a guy, and I think it was University of Utah. I could be misquoting it. He banned laptops from his class. What? I mean, probably melted the school down. Pencil Evals pa- in the trash. In the trash. Pencil paper only. The class average rose an entire later letter grade. Oh my gosh! I know. And so notebooks, highlighters. He's got to be fired by now. He's probably gone. <laughs> but it worked well for him. The one time he was allowed to do it before he got fired. That's awesome. Yep. Um, a lot covered today, Chris. I got one more question for yeah. you, and then we'll kind of close it up here. Um, should I do hard questions, easy questions? Where do I focus my energies? Both. 
Ah, both. And so got me there. You got to do both. The the hard questions. Um, it's interesting to refer as afraid as people are of mixed sets of questions. They don't tend to shy away from hard questions as much because something inside there is telling them I need to know this information. Then they forget some of the easy concepts, and they're both going to be on there. Um, you know, questions that you get right the first time, you're never going to get a hundred times right again. You, you know what? Maybe you don't place your emphasis there. Um, but the basic science questions that may seem a little bit easier, those are still part of your test. They build that foundation for those harder questions for you to be successful on. So just jumping off with the really hard questions and you don't know the foundation before that, the basic sciences before it, you're not really going to learn it that well. And so do them all, do them in mixed sets, have an easy next to a heart, same thing as the concepts being different next to each other. Um, mix them all in with each other, don't shy away from any of them, pound questions, all the above, and go be successful. Man, I think you've heard it. That's the way to be an EM stud. That's the way to succeed. Uh, Chris, thanks for coming on to the EM stud podcast today. If people want to learn more about you, uh, why don't you share your Twitter handle and maybe a way to contact? Yeah, you got it. So Twitter handle is cdeem05. It's C-D-I-E-M-0-5. And then email address, D-I-E-M at a really long handle, medicine.tamhsc.edu. I'll put it on my Twitter. Um, And that way, feel free, please, to contact me and happy to help. Folks, Chris will promise to provide a unique, individual, 12-page study guide for any student in the world willing to do this. His phone number is 1-800-TEST-PRO. TEST-PRO. So, yeah, feel free to reach out to him. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime for a small monetary small monetary fee. Seriously, Chris, thank you for coming on to the yeah. EMSTUD podcast today. I think we've got a lot of good information here that's going to help our students uh, propel forward and succeed on their tests. So on behalf of uh, my good friend, uh, ER Dr. Nate, this is your EMED coach, Dr. Scott Weider, signing off for another edition of the EM Stud Podcast. For more information about our show, feel free to visit our website at www.emstud.com. Until next time, rotate well, my friends. Mm-hmm.